Hey ghouls and gals, thanks for tuning in. And before we begin today, I'd like to address a few things in regards to how differently cases are treated due to race. In fact, data shows that missing white people receive far more media coverage than missing black and brown, despite higher rates of missing people among communities of color. The FBI's National Crime Information Center reported that 37% of black children go missing, even though they only make up about 14% of children in the United States. Even more disturbing, a 2015 study states that black children account for 35% of missing children's cases, but only receive 7% of media coverage. Black families are often told their child is just a runaway or involved in criminal activity. And cases involving missing black and brown women go unresolved four times longer than those of white women. The most reported cases are on white women. This is known as missing white women syndrome, which refers to the disproportionate amount of media attention they receive. And we've seen this time and time again. Every case needs the same amount of coverage, resources, and effort. And this podcast is dedicated to the forgotten but important people that are treated poorly and ultimately deserve justice. Today, we will be encountering evil with Anthony Sowell. Born August 19, 1959, in East Cleveland, Ohio, Anthony Edward Sowell was one of seven children to Claudia Garrison. And when Claudia's sister died, they took in their seven children, so there's a total of 14 children under this roof. Claudia herself actually struggled with poverty and unfortunately drug addiction, and she would actually severely beat the children with electrical cords while they were naked and tied up for actions like leaving dirty dishes in the sink. And at 12 years old, Sowell himself started sexually abusing his 10-year-old niece daily for two years. And it was also reported by that same niece that other male children in the home participated in these rapes. So already we're seeing an absolutely wild childhood. We have poverty, we have drug addiction, and we have 14 children in this house. And I can't even imagine what that niece went through daily. At the age of 18, Sowell joined the United States Marine Corps. During his time there, he actually earned multiple medals and received a lot of praise. He was discharged January 18, 1985, and he returned to his childhood home at 12205 Imperial Avenue. This address would soon become infamous. A few years after his discharge from the military, in 1989, a woman who was three months pregnant at the time went to Sowell's home to party and she later attempted to leave. He got angry, bound her hands and feet with a necktie and belt. He then gagged her with a rag. The victim later stated, he choked me real hard because my body started tingling. I thought I was going to die. For this crime, he was arrested and charged with kidnapping, rape, and attempted rape. He pleaded guilty to attempted rape and served 15 years in prison, and he was released in 2005. 
After his release, Sowell returned to a declining Cleveland as crack cocaine was on the rise, and he began working in a factory until about 2007, when he instead started collecting unemployment benefits and his neighbors reported that he had been selling scrap metal. After he began working from home, a strange odor started to emerge in the neighborhood, a smell that would leave a stain on the community. Sometime in 2007, Soel was looking to date. He bumped into a woman down the street from his home and they made their way to a bar where they drank before going back to his home. This woman was the niece of Mayor Frank Jackson and her name is Laurie Fraser. Later on in this relationship, Fraser moved in with him, and she recalled the two years she was there. During that time, she actually struggled with her addiction to crack, and later on, Sowell himself became addicted. And while she was there, there were a lot of strange incidences that happened. There was one instance where Sowell had a deep gash across his forehead and claimed they were from a fight. Another time when he came home, he had flesh torn from his neck and it was hanging and he claimed he was jump walking by an abandoned building. His throat was so severely cut, he required stitches, which this is a huge red flag for me. I would absolutely be out there. I understand there are certain situations that may prevent this, but this is absolutely terrifying. And this last instance, is even more disturbing when he rushed into their shared bedroom with blood rushing from his head and saying, you don't have to worry about them no more because I killed their ass. She claims he didn't really explain what he meant by that, which to me is pretty strange. I feel like that statement is clear and concise and I'm not sure what else you could allude to from that. But sometime while living in this home, she had picked up on the scent of a foul smell. And when she officially moved out, she reported the smell to be from Ray's sausage shop, which was nearby. On October 20th of 2009, a woman met Sowell when he approached her at a bus stop. He invited her over for a drink and they walked back to his home to have some drinks and do drugs. She initially left his home and only returned to retrieve her wallet, and that's when he attacked her as she was going up the stairs. He began violently choking her, telling her to remove her clothes, then forcing her to the bed. This is where he viciously raped her, and then he began locking the doors and windows, but he left one window open. Sean Morris recalls her thoughts, saying, It was my only chance, and I took it. At the time, she was on the second floor and started to climb out the window when he caught her. He attempted to grab her to pull her back inside, but instead ended up pushing a nude Morris out the window down a 24-foot drop where she fell unconscious. Neighbors started to gather around and someone called 911. Sowell came outside, naked himself, and claimed that Sean was his wife and that he was going to take her back inside. But then, medical personnel decided to take her to the hospital. And get this, Sowell was allowed to ride in the back with them. The wildest part about this whole ordeal is that it was all caught on camera. On grainy film, it shows Sowell and Morris in the tall grass on the side of his home. This was caught on a neighbor's surveillance camera. After this incident, police went to his home and knocked on the door, and when there was no answer, there was no further investigation. The police just walked away. 
Another attack was on 26-year-old Vanessa Gay in September of 2008. Sowell invited Gay back to his home after meeting her on Kinsman Avenue. He lied and said it was his birthday, and they both agreed to go on the 15-minute walk back to his place. Once they arrive, Gay recalls the home being musty and gloomy. They lit up a pipe to smoke, and once she took a puff, she was met with a punch in the face. He demanded that she take off her clothes and went on a rant about women that smoked crack had wronged him, and he even went on to say she didn't deserve what he was about to do. He then viciously beat and raped her, and in between these attacks, he allowed her to use the restroom. And when she went to the third floor, she made a grisly discovery. In one of the rooms across from the bathroom was a dead body without a head, propped up in a seated position. And going into survival mode, she had to get back into bed with all of this and calmed so well down by telling him he had did nothing wrong. In the morning, he gave her his phone number and told her to come back and hang out when he got paid. The audacity of this man and the complete disconnection of what's going on around him is really insane. She called police to report what had happened to her and she was told to come in. Shocked and traumatized, Gay instead relieved her pain by getting high. And when she once again tried to tell authorities what happened, they laughed in her face and said that she was just mad because she didn't get to smoke with Anthony Sowell. Which is so disgusting. I can't imagine going through a completely traumatizing, life-changing event and then being completely disregarded like that must have been completely devastating. It is now December 8th of 2008 and Anthony Sowell meets another woman, Gladys Wade, walking down the street. When she refused to go to his home, he punched her in the face and choked her before dragging her inside of his home where she fell unconscious. She woke up to him ordering her to remove her clothes. She fought back and clawed him, leading to them falling down the stairs and her fleeing out the door. She went to a restaurant to receive help, but they refused to call 911 and told her to get out. She flagged on a police car and told them what happened. And he was arrested, but released just two days later due to insufficient evidence, claiming there were no visible signs, even though she had been spotted bleeding and she needed over a dozen stitches in her thumb, and her sweater was still covered in blood from the struggle. He then countered her story, saying that she had robbed him and even brought charges against her. Those charges against her were dropped, but after this attack, five more women in the neighborhood disappeared. One of those women was Crystal Dozier. She was a 35-year-old mother of seven, and she was known to be a loving mother who enjoyed getting dressed up just to go to the doctor's office. Her family regarded her as prissy and fabulous, and she unfortunately fell into the cruel world around her and got mixed up to, in a wicked addiction to crack cocaine. She often would party in the neighborhood and had known so well from previous encounters, and they would actually often drink and use together. She would sometimes go off for days on end, keeping in contact via phone with her family, but she would always return. So in April of 2007, when she wasn't around, it wasn't necessarily a strange thing for the family. They got suspicious when the calls and visits completely stopped, 
And in June of 2007, Anthony Dozer, her son, filed a missing persons report on her and spent two years scouring the streets in search of his mother. He even got a tip his mother had visited a, visited a home on Imperial Avenue, but found nothing, not realizing he was only a few steps away from where she spent her last moments. She had been missing for two and a half years before her remains were dug up in Sowell's backyard near a fence. She was presumably raped, beaten, and murdered on May 17, 2007. The next victim was 33-year-old Tishana Culver, who was a mother on her way to a fresh start when she moved to an apartment on 64th Street in 2003. After struggling with addiction and homelessness, prior to this, her and her boyfriend, Marcus, had been sleeping in a park. She was trying to reunite with her family and get clean. However, after the death of her boyfriend, who she planned to marry, died, it was a devastating blow, and she turned to drugs to cope. Due to her struggles, she often drifted in and out of her family's lives, and so when they didn't hear from her, no one reported her missing. In her frail state, it made her an easy target for predators like Anthony Sowell, and it is presumed she went to Sowell's home to use and fell victim to rape, mutilation, and her remains were found buried in the backyard of his home. I'm going to stop here for part one. Don't forget to tune in for part two on Monday and follow me on all socials, which is Cat Commander. That's K-A-T-T underscore C-O-M-M-A-N-D-E-R. Thank you for tuning in and don't forget to look behind you.